Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Susanna Juteau. Susanna is from Ottawa, Canada, and currently living in San Jose, California, where she is a dietitian who specializes in intermittent fasting. Welcome, Susanna. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Well, I am super glad to have you here because I really love to talk to healthcare professionals specifically who use intermittent fasting in their work. So I, th- I think that's just wonderful. Yes. Well, I think there's more and more of us every day getting on board, and I am doing my best to spread the word and get more health professionals not only interested, but a bit more aware and understanding of the research rather than just brushing it off, which I think in the past 
was almost every health professional just kind of brushed it off. Oh, what's intermittent fasting? I don't have time to look into that. But now that it's so popular, everyone's starting to look into it more and start to understand it, I hope. (laughs) I I think that you're right because I can imagine, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm a serial dieter though. So (laughs) I, I know that I was always in the past, jumping on and off every diet, reading all about the different ones. And so I imagine that probably a lot of healthcare professionals at first, when they started hearing about intermittent fasting, probably assumed it was the same kind of thing. It was like the diet du jour and it was going to come and go. Exactly. And now it's it's not doing that. And it's not only not doing that, it's sticking around. So (laughs) that's what people are, we're forced to pay attention. Tell me how you found out about intermittent fasting, when that was, how you started, that sort of thing. Well, this could be a really long story, or (laughs) I'll try to make it a medium story, I guess. I think it was 2015. I used to work at a community health center in Ottawa. So when I worked there, I worked with all kinds of different population groups as a dietitian. So I was working from babies to seniors. I did group programs on nutrition and I did individual counseling plus outreach groups. So all, all across the spectrum. So I was really what I call a jack of all nutrition trades. I couldn't know anything specific or really in depth about any particular subject on nutrition, but I knew a little bit of everything. And that was the first time that I heard about intermittent fasting because a client kind of in passing said, oh, what do you think about intermittent fasting? And I, I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, actually. And from there, I, it just piqued my interest because For me, if I don't know something, I better look it up right away. And in 2015, it was probably a lot harder to find information. You know, there was a lot less chatter about it in 2015. Totally. I didn't find much. All I found was, and I probably didn't really have the time to go in depth that I was later able to do, which we'll get to, but I kind of just checked through the dietitian sources, what is the comment about intermittent fasting? And there wasn't anything. All people said was, no, you should be eating regularly. You should be eating every three to four hours, keeping your glucose level in check. So that was my thought. And I didn't have time to go into any more depth. I can really see how other health professionals who are kind of in that constant, you know, having to learn things and always busy, never having that time to actually sit down and do a full day of research and proper research that they might brush off something like intermittent fasting as just a fad, especially as it gains in popularity. There's people who do it to more extreme levels and they might just brush it off as a fad. So that's where I try to like even my Instagram account, I have tons of health professionals that follow it just to learn a bit more about the science. And I always have people kind of reach out to me and say, oh, wow, I didn't realize like the evidence behind it. And there's a lot of health professionals who are on board. So I always tell people, if their doctor isn't supportive, reach out to another doctor, reach out to another health professional. And at some point you will find people who are more knowledgeable on the subject. I think that's great advice. By the way, what is your Instagram? Is the word handle? I don't know. Instagram name. I'm like, yeah, yeah. The handle. (laughs) I'm pretty new to Instagram. So it's fast with facts with periods in between. So fast period with period facts underscore RD, which means registered dietitian. 
it's not crazy popular or anything, but <laughs> I bet you'll have some more people following you after this, especially if you are posting great stuff because people who have the bug about intermittent fasting, they want to know all the stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And be surrounded by people who are into it. Yeah. It's true. And so you have lots of health professionals follow you, following you on Instagram, which I think is awesome. So keep telling that story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So skip ahead, I guess, one year. My husband got a job at Google and we moved out to San Jose. And at the time I was on maternity leave. I had just had my second daughter, Jasmine. She was two months when we moved. So in Canada, we have a year long maternity leave. So even though I moved here, I still had that year before I had to return to work. During that time, I had some extra time to actually focus on the research And really get into the scientific articles. People were asking me much more frequently about intermittent fasting. A lot of my friends were saying, oh, what do you think about this? And I said, okay, I better get my acting gear and start reading up about this. I took a good month reading different things. The first documentary that I watched, what was it called? It was with uh, Michael Mosley, the BBC documentary, Eat Fast something. Live Longer, was it? Was it something like that? I remember that one. Yes, something like that. So that's what got me really interested and intrigued. Then from there, found Jason Fonz, found your book as well, and read through all these things and really found the evidence super compelling and decided to start it for myself. So this is where the, the story could get long. So six years ago, I had uh, brain surgery because I had a a benign brain tumor. And as soon as they found it, they had to do the surgery right away because it was pushing on my brainstem. It was exactly six years ago today. I actually booked this podcast interview for today just so that it's kind of a good reflection of that time. And it was a very important day of my life. I love that. Six years ago today. Wow. So, so much has changed in my life in those six years. I always think of my life kind of before surgery and after surgery, what has happened. So in my recovery from surgery, I had crazy, intense, constant headaches. And it took me a long time before I was able to return to work. Even when I did return to work, I shouldn't have been there because I still had those constant headaches and medications didn't help at all. But after a year, the medications started working And I was on medications for five years until I started this intermittent fasting. When I started fasting, I started with the 16-8, but it didn't help my headaches much. I could tell that there was a way to improve them because they were better, but not enough that I could go off the medication. And so I increased my fasting length to 24 hours and... At that point, that was the right level for me. I started doing the two days. uh, So Mondays and Thursdays, I would do 24-hour full fasts. Within four weeks, I was able to cut my medication in half. And then within eight weeks, I went off the medication completely. Wow. And I've been off them ever since. So the power of intermittent fasting is is right there. That's amazing. So a daily... 16-hour fast was not enough to make the difference for you, but just doing a 5-2 pattern with two 24-hour fasts a week, that was it. That was enough. That is the perfect level for me. So I found my right level. And since then, 
I am very strict about those two days, but they can also be flexible. So it can be Tuesday, Friday instead of Monday, Thursday, and that's fine. But if I go longer than four days in between, which I did once kind of over the Christmas holidays, headaches came right back. So now I am very strict. I don't go more than three days without doing a 24-hour fast. Wow. Two 24-hour fasts a week is really not that much. What do you do on the other, the other five days? What does your pattern look like? Right. So I do do a bit of fasting on those days. I do a minimum of 12, occasionally up to 16, but not usually that much. Usually it's more a 13 to 14 hour fast. I wake up and I eat once I'm hungry. I love this because this is not a pattern we've heard anybody say before. (laughs) Yeah. It's a bit unique. But I love that because you experimented with a lot of different things, it sounds like, and you found what was not your sweet spot. And then just throwing in two. 24-hour fast. And then I guess once the 24 hours is up, do you you normally eat the Monday and the Thursday? What does your eating look like on those days? You just eat dinner? Yes. So I go from dinner the night before to dinner the next night. So it's not always an exact 24 hours because it really depends. Like I have two young girls, a four-year-old, almost two-year-old. So I make sure that Suppers are important meal. We always eat supper together. So when they're ready to eat, we eat together. It can sometimes be a 23-hour fast. But it's close enough to make a difference for you. It's exactly dinner to dinner. It's that flexibility that's amazing. Right. So it made your headaches completely go away. Yes. Yeah. And at the same time, so a lot of people fast for weight loss and after my surgery, I slowly was gaining weight. I mean, I attributed it to the medications or to the pregnancies and basically just over the years, just kept gaining more. Actually, I can't even say over the years because it was really that first year that I gained probably about 15 pounds more than my comfortable weight. No, I'd say more more 20, 20 pounds because within the for 16 weeks of fasting, I had lost 15. And then the last five just kind of have dwindled off, but over time. So you lost 15 pounds in the first 16 weeks. Yes. But key point to make is that first month, I didn't even lose one pound. Well, that is important because we hear that so frequently with people that are new. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, I haven't lost any weight. It's been three weeks, four weeks. It's like, why it, isn't it working? It doesn't, yeah, quote, it isn't working. So you didn't lose any at first. So it took you one month before you started seeing any weight loss. Yeah. And then it was kind of a pretty, pretty steady from there that it was kind of one pound a week. And then the last five have just kind of gone off very slowly. Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm not too concerned about the last five. I will always have a little bit of body fat. And for that, I am very comfortable fasting every week. No one can tell me I'm you know, too skinny or anything like that. I'm in my comfortable weight. Yeah, but I think that's important. And it sounds like you have a healthy mindset around it because, you know, the same with me. I've got body fat, you know, and I've got curves and I'm a little squishy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) Totally. I think we're supposed to be a little squishy. Yeah, exactly. We've had kids. You have to have a little bit of squishiness around that stomach area. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. One day I'm going to, you know, snuggle my grandkids right there. I'll snuggled up on my squishies. Oh, yeah. And they'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you're just rolling along now. You've been doing this for about a year. Yeah, just over a year. And 
it's amazing. And that's what led me to, I mean, part of it was moving to San Jose. I left my job that I loved behind and was finding kind of a new path in life. But at the same time, starting the intermittent fasting put me on this journey of where I'm passionate to share my knowledge with other people and really help people stop the yo-yo dieting and find a lifestyle that really works for them long-term. And there's so many different fasting protocols that they can follow. So it's all about finding the right one for them that is sustainable. So that's my mission now is to really help women find their perfect lifestyle where they don't have to diet anymore and where they can enjoy what they're eating, not calorie count and not worry about what foods they're saying yes or no to. They can have what they want and just incorporate some fasting in there. Yeah, I think that's important. And I love, first of all, I already said this, I love that your pattern looks different from the other patterns we've heard. But the fact that you recognize that there is not going to be a universal pattern that everyone will follow that's going to be the same. I don't know what people are reading. Maybe it's like they'll read a magazine article that says, you know, do 16-8 and magically lose all of your fat. <laughs> and then people will start 16-8 and they're like, I'm not losing anything. <laughs> you know, 16-8 is not everybody's, you know, fat loss protocol. Exactly. They need to pick and choose. And I like to think of it as an intermittent fasting toolbox with strategies. You know, sometimes people are a little miffed. They're like, well, you know, I was told that if I just had an eating window, this would magically work. But the eating window approach is only one tool. Mm-hmm. And even within that, there's a lot of ways to apply it. You know, an eight-hour window, a five-hour window, a two-hour window, <laughs> you know, having it be different. And then there's the up-down day protocols like Michael Mosley's 5-2 that you, you talked about earlier, which is loosely, I guess, what you're doing. Yes. I never know what to call it exactly because often when we say 5-2, people think of the 500 calories during the day spread out throughout the day. And to me, that sounds really hard. If I start eating, then I want to continue eating. And I also feel like you're losing a lot of the benefits of fasting if you're eating here and there. But in his book, like Michael Mosley himself follows the 5-2 that I follow, which is no calories at all during that 24-hour fast. But I think some of that is lost unless someone has read You have to specifically write. I agree with you that if you're doing the 5-2 approach with the 500 calories, I mean, you don't count. You're not trying to consciously restrict on those days, are you? Never. Yeah, I love that. I, I don't think about it at all. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at restricting to a certain number and Exactly. I couldn't imagine calorie counting. <laughs> no, I have to eat till satisfied. If I'm not satisfied, I, I can't sleep. You know, that doesn't work well for me. It was easier when I was trying to do a 4-3 protocol. This is back in, gosh, I guess it was 2015, no, 2016 is when I was last experimenting with the up-down day protocols. I couldn't do a 500 calorie day because it just wasn't enough to make me feel satisfied. I had to do a full fast and then just eat the next day. But that doesn't mean the 500 calorie day is wrong. Exactly. It might work perfectly for someone. It's all about experimenting what is the best for you, for your body. Just like certain foods work for certain people and wouldn't work for someone else, then this is the exact same idea. I also love hearing that from a registered dietitian. You know, what you just said is so important about foods being you're not the same for everybody because so often 
I know I looked for it for years, that one magical diet plan that was the best for everybody. And if I just found it, then life would be so much better. And, you know, some people do proclaim, you know, diet X is better or diet Y is better. But tell us from your perspective as a registered dietitian, you know, why you're confident in saying there's no one best way for everyone to eat. Yeah, I think we're just such a diverse species. If we look back to our origins, we've come from all different places. There just can't possibly be one size fits all for everyone. Just like we don't all have the same shoe size. You know, there's so many ways that we're different. I feel like food is the exact same thing. Some foods will work better for others. Just like carbohydrates, some people really need carbohydrates to feel satisfied, to feel full, to be happy in life, whereas other people can follow the keto diet and be completely happy and not miss those carbohydrates. Yeah. And some people say that when they eat carbs, they just can't stop eating. They eat more and more and more and carbs just, you know, turn on that switch and they can't stop. Whereas for me, I feel that switch if I don't eat carbs. I can't stop until I get them. (laughs) You know, they don't make me eat more. Yes, I agree. I always feel like my supper isn't quite complete until I have at least, I don't know, some sort of whole grains in there or some sort of carbohydrate to go with the meal. Yeah, that's how I feel. But I believe the people who say the opposite too, as you do. The people who say, you know, carbs just don't work for me. They make them starving. I believe them. You know, so it's all about tweaking and figuring out what makes you feel right. Yes, and experimenting. Exactly. Tell me how you're going to use intermittent fasting with clients. I love that. Yes, well, so I was telling you offline, so I might as well tell the whole audience. When I moved to San Jose, I'm not allowed to work here because my husband is on a TN visa, which means he can only work for the company that hired him and the rest of the family is not allowed to work at all. We all are allowed to live here, but we're not allowed to work. So I'm waiting on a green card before I'm allowed to work here at all. So in the meantime, I've just been building a program and doing some Instagram here and there a little bit of Facebook, all the behind the scenes of starting up a business on your own. So the program that once I can eventually work here and launch it, it's going to be a three-month program where there'll be some course modules just explaining the different types of intermittent fasting, how to apply it in people's lives, and kind of some different activities for people to figure out what is the best protocol for them and what is something that they can at least start with and getting going. I found when I was first looking up intermittent fasting that it was really a mismatch of all kinds of information out there, that it was really hard to find a good source or a source where it was evidence-based. That's where I came across your podcast and I found that really interesting Jason Fun obviously has a lot of really good information, but you kind of had to do all the research on your own. So this program that I've developed is really to have all that information in one spot and a go-to person to ask questions to. It's going to be a Facebook support group as well, where there'll be group coaching once a week where everyone can ask questions, just the support of asking questions amongst each other. And the small group size will help with getting started. And I figure three months is a good length of time where 
if someone's committing for a full three months, they usually get into a pretty good pattern after that, where they can kind of go on their own and just continue with what what has worked. Yeah, I think that's a good amount of time, three months, because we know a month is not enough. And, you know, if you make it to that three-month mark, you're probably adapted. You've probably tweaked and figured some things out. And so you're probably on a good path to turning it into a lifestyle. Exactly. So many programs I see are just one month long. Right. But especially for intermittent fasting, that's just not enough time. People, I feel, would feel discouraged if they don't lose weight within a month and they'll just finish the program and move on to the next diet. So I don't want that to happen. I think you're exactly right. You can't see it as just one month. The one month is just beginning and just adapting. And then beyond that is where you start to see, you know, the magic because you're probably not even fat adapted (laughs) hardly by that point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the hardest part of intermittent fasting is really those first two weeks. And depending on the protocol, it might take a bit longer or depending how much people are eating in their eating window. I mean, that whole first month is really just playing around with finding out what works. Right. You know, I'm reading a lot of studies. I'm working on a project that I can't talk about yet, but I'm working on a project. So I'm doing a lot of research, reading a lot of studies like combing PubMed, that sort of thing. You know, the ones I'm talking about, the ones that you are reading, you're like, what does that even mean? Right. But (laughs) you have to read it three or four times. Then you're like, okay, now I get it. But a lot of the research is done in such a short period of time. They'll have them try it for a week. (laughs) I know it's hard sometimes going through the research where you say, oh, why isn't this a study that goes for at least six months? Or it's hard to get any valid results when it's such a short time frame. And that's where a lot of health professionals complain. They say, well, there's no good long-term evidence about intermittent fasting or there isn't enough or the strength is poor. And some of these studies, that's exactly the case is if they just continued longer, they would see, you even see studies that say, oh, it's not sustainable. But they looked at it over a two week period where that is the worst time. That's where it is hard. (laughs) They're like, everyone was crabby and they didn't like it. We're like, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Everyone was hungry. So this isn't sustainable. Of course, you have to get adapted to it. Right. Yeah. That's the part that is frustrating because, you know, it certainly changed for me a lot over time. You know, a lot of the research is out there having to do with Ramadan fasting. And that's one month, you know, so even the people doing Ramadan fasting, which is, of course, their religious fasting month, that's still just one month. Yes. Sometimes it's hard to apply that research to the general population because they are eating overnight, which means it's a whole different circadian rhythm that they're kind of messing with that. So it's hard to really draw the same conclusions that if we could just have some longer term studies of the general population and they're not drinking water, it's hard to, it's hard to fast if you're not drinking water. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I can't even imagine trying to fast with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I just had a student that was working with me and Ramadan finished pretty recently And so she was doing the dry fasting and it was really interesting to talk to her because she says her and all of her friends, they find the fasting so difficult the first couple of days. And she practices intermittent fasting throughout the year, 
but not the dry intermittent fasting. So during Ramadan, she's all of a sudden switching to dry fasting and eating in the middle of the night. And she said it was like she was starting fasting all over again. It wasn't easy at all. And found the first two days she was faint and bad headaches. But after two to three days, everyone is accustomed to it. So it's just about getting through some of those hard days and keeping with it. I would love to see some really good intermittent fasting research. For me, what I really want to see, I'm sure you're familiar with what I call the clean fast, you know, with nothing but the black coffee, the plain water, nothing flavored, nothing, you know, diet soda. I think a lot of the studies we have also, you know, that people are not, you know, doing the clean fasting. I would like to see a study where they're just having water, black coffee, plain tea. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. If we had that, I think it would just give such different results because the vast majority of the research right now is the alternate day fasting with the 500 calories. So you're not getting in, into the autophagy the same way. You're not getting quite the weight loss benefits, I'd say, if you're still spiking the insulin throughout the day. And I, yeah, I think those benefits go back to the whole, you know, the idea of calorie restriction. And calorie restriction has been studied a lot and of course, animal models. So we know that calorie restriction, it promotes longevity. You know, they were feeding mice, you know, maybe 30% less food or 40% less food than, you know, a maintenance and they live for longer. You know, we know that's true. We don't have robust calorie restriction studies in humans, of course, because <laughs> that would take like, what, 100 years <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to see if it would happen. But the alternate day fasting research we have, it really is. They're, they're having the 500 calories and they're not really fasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate that that's the majority of our research. So I really hope that there's going to be some more funds that go into this research. The unfortunate part is that no one can make money out of fasting and there's not going to be much money that goes into this research, even though we have lots of questions to ask and things to prove. So I would love to see a study with clean fasting compared to people who were allowed to have, you know, diet sodas and whatever. I would like to see actual head to head. I would like to see that. So I would like to design a study. Actually, that would be the most fun. I would love it. Because, you know, I taught elementary school for years. And I was the science teacher, actually, at a school, a science lab. And I was in charge of the science fair. And so most recently, I taught my elementary gifted students. My fourth graders did a science experiment type project where they had to, you know, develop the question, have their hypothesis. They followed the scientific method. And we had to learn to control our variables and that sort of thing. So I think I could help some scientists develop a, <laughs> a good study where we control the variables and really see, you know, what we're testing. I would love to do that. And there's so many people who would be interested in being a part of that study. We could find, we could easily find the subjects for the study. Uh, we so. surely could. Although whoever had to do the not clean fast group... <laughs> I don't know where we would find those people. Sorry, y'all, you're going to dirty fast. and <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> even though we pretty much know better based on anecdotal evidence that uh, you guys still have to go in this group. I'm sure there's lots of people that would be happy with that, though. Probably, you're probably right. People would volunteer for that, yeah. Y'all are going to be hungrier, though. We're just going to go ahead and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would just really love to see it, just because I think that would 
be really helpful because, you know, all the clean fast recommendations are based on, you know, a little bit of this study, a little bit of that study and how we know the body works, but we don't have a direct comparison of, well, these are the people who didn't look what happened to them. (laughs) That's what I'd like to have. I know that would be so interesting. Unfortunately, we also can't double blind that type of study. So people will still complain about it, but (laughs) at least it'll get us further. Right, right. They would know what group they were in just because (laughs) the state of their coffee. (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to design a program. Is it all going to be online or are you going to have people that you meet with face to face? No, it's going to be an online program. Part of the benefit of that is that anyone can join and I don't anticipate living in San Jose forever. So that's the part behind it is that I will likely be moving in a couple of years. So it just makes sense to have an online program. Right. So it can transfer wherever you are. Exactly. (laughs) I think it's interesting. This is just me talking here about this, that you can't like base it in Canada. I'm just thinking about, you know, the whole, the green card situation. Like you can't live here and run it as a Canadian because it's internet based. That is so fascinating. I know. I'm not sure if this is the only country that does it this way. They're like really not kidding that, <laughs> that you can't work, you know? Well, when I first realized I can't work, I guess I always knew I couldn't work in the US without the green card or I get a company that sponsors me. But because I'm doing my own thing, no one can sponsor me, of course. So I actually started up I said, well, I can just work virtually with clients in Canada and my business will be in Canada. I registered there and everything. And then one of my friends pointed out she works for Government of Canada and one of her friends was trying to move to the States. And she's like, I'm fairly positive you're not allowed to work, whether it's for Canadians or for Americans, you're not allowed to work there if you're living there. Wow. Yeah, I had a pretty good breakdown there because... I like to work. I enjoy working. I love working with people. I love just brainstorming and finding the perfect protocol and answering questions and all of this stuff. So what I've learned is that working is really a privilege. And when I do get to work, I will feel extra happy about working every day and be extra passionate. It's great how these difficult things make us shift our mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you're like going to be grateful for the ability to work. I love that mindset shift. So when do you think that'll be? How long do you think it'll take? Well, they originally said around a year. And so we filed the application. So this was the other part is had I known all of this, I would have applied the day that we got here. But because I was on maternity leave, I wasn't in a rush. I figured I could just work in Canada and this wouldn't be an issue. So we didn't file for the green card right away until October 2018. So they say about a year. So hopefully that's the case. I've heard from people that the whole process has been slowed down quite a bit in this past year. So we'll see how that goes. Well, fingers crossed. I've just learned a lot. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, we don't think about. And it surprised you. I'm definitely surprised by that. So fingers crossed. I hope that it happens at least within the year. Exactly. Fingers crossed for the fall. I'm all ready to launch. I'm all ready to do things. And I mean, there's always lots to do. So I'm just working on that kind of thing for now. (laughs) Well, good. 
We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by by Optimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So when you were doing your research, what really convinced you? I know you said you read Fung, you watched Michael Mosley's work. What really just made you go aha about the science behind intermittent fasting? Well, what got me interested in doing it for myself is anecdotally, I heard a lot of stories that people said that their headaches improved or that their migraines improved. And I said, well, there's no reason for me not to try this. So that's what got me started. As for the research, it just made sense. Everything made sense. I kept trying to find research that was contrary or you know, find evidence online that was saying that intermittent fasting isn't legit. And I couldn't find any good scientific evidence to dissuade me from doing intermittent fasting. And I think that's a good point. You couldn't find any good (laughs) scientific evidence. Because, you know, one thing we hear all the time, it's not as bad now as it used to be, because there was one certain blog post that everyone used to always read and popped up. And I don't even know if that blog post is still there, but it implied that intermittent fasting, you know, wasn't good for women for some way. Have you come across that train of thought? Well, there's definitely a YouTube video about that. And that is a very popular YouTube video. And a lot of people ask me about it, but he's referencing a study on rats. And I think it was a very small sample size, something like six or eight rats it wasn't long-term. It doesn't apply to humans. So when I saw that, it did make me kind of second-guess things and really look into it a bit further. And I couldn't find any good evidence as to why females 
shouldn't fast unless you're already, I mean, if you don't have much fat mass, then of course you shouldn't fast. Or if you have eating disorders or you're pregnant or even breastfeeding. Nursing, right. All those situations, then yes, women shouldn't fast. But if we have extra body fat, then it just makes sense to dig into those fat stores and start using them. That's what they're there for. Exactly. And that it's not going to disrupt us just because we're women. As long as we're not over-restricting and over-dieting, and that does bother women. You know, We should not overly diet, whether it's intermittent fasting or whether it's anything. We should not overdo the dieting, you know, but intermittent fasting should not be an overly restrictive diet for anybody. Actually, that's, you know, not the point of it. And it should feel comfortable. You shouldn't be feeling deprived or guilty about foods or restricting and calorie counting. And I mean, all that stuff can be put into our past and not have to think about any of that anymore. And this should just be a nice, comfortable lifestyle that you enjoy. I agree with that. And I really do long for the day where we do have something more substantial related to women. Again, we do have some Ramadan fasting with women research, but it's short term and it's not exactly the same thing. But in one of my Facebook groups, we've got, gosh, about we're about to hit 115,000 members. And I looked at it. Someone was asking a question about women are there any women here who whatever? And we're 93% women <laughs> in the group. And I think, you know, if 93% of a group of 115,000 people are women, then, you know, we're a pretty good little cohort of women who are <laughs> making intermittent fasting work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I think that we are practically the research, really. I think that's exactly it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking at some anecdotal research like that. Yes, it's not a specific study that's controlling for variables and all of that, but we're a huge population of women that are successfully fasting and our hormones are better, our blood sugars are better, our headaches are better. I mean, there's so much evidence right there just from our experiences that we can draw on all of that evidence in quotes to encourage others to try it. I mean, if women are losing their periods and having a lot of side effects, then they should definitely maybe reconsider what the protocol they're following, ask themselves, are they restricting? Or overly exercising. Exactly. And maybe there's something else going on, in which case they should be talking to their health providers. But I haven't come across people even losing their periods because the average person isn't over-exercising, isn't an elite athlete who needs to eat much more calories than they can get in a small window. We do frequently see that when people are starting out, they'll have some wonkiness in their cycles that usually evens out. Sometimes that happens, not always, but that can be a little something. You know, People shouldn't be automatically alarmed if they have a little bit of a change just because the body's adjusting. Right. Those first couple of months for sure. Right. I'm going to be anecdotal about this. You know, I'm about to turn 50 by the time this airs. I will be 50. Oh, <laughs> and Well, happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am going through menopause. I'm not fully through it. It hasn't been a year, but I am sailing through it. I haven't gained any weight. I haven't. I mean, I've had a little hot flashing here and there, but it's not awful. I really do think that intermittent fasting is helping this be, you know, I mean, I don't have like crazy mood swings. I'm not like 
psycho. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's making it all manageable. I just really can't believe how easy it is for me going through this and that I haven't gained any weight because that's what I was worried about. You know, I was worried, you know, am I going to hit menopause and then boom, everything is awful. But no. It's just keeping all your hormones still in check. And that's awesome. I'd love to hear if that's the case for other people because that's amazing just to hear on its own. And there's another study we can do. There you go. There you go. Menopausal women and <laughs> intermittent fasting. Here's a perfect way to, to help control all of the symptoms. Yeah. Megan Ramos, she works with Dr. Fung. I'm sure you're familiar with her. She's got a great blog post about intermittent fasting and women and their cycles. So anybody who is concerned about, you know, how is this going to affect women and their cycles, she is such a great wealth of knowledge because they work with so many patients with intermittent fasting and she does it herself, but they have data from all the people and they're, you know, on the medical side of it. So she, she speaks to what women can expect. And, you know, if you're someone who has polycystic ovarian syndrome, intermittent fasting can be amazing as far as regulating cycles. And to help with the insulin resistance and all of that and just help with some weight loss and help improve the, those symptoms for sure. Right. So it's not just a something that's okay for those women. It's actually medically beneficial. Did you listen to the episode that I had with Cecily Ganhart, Dr. Ganhart? I did. Yes. I loved her so much. <laughs> I know. She's great. <laughs> and, you know, she's an ABGYN who is working with patients and using intermittent fasting with them, specifically her PCOS patients. Yes. No, I found that episode really interesting and definitely encourage everyone to listen to it. She's really fun and a great advocate for intermittent fasting. So we often we often communicate on Instagram together. But I, so. just, I really feel like part of my mission is to get the word out there that women – don't be scared just because, was that video you're talking about, was it made by a man? Yes. So pretty much <laughs> most of the sources who say women, you got to be careful, women be careful, are men <laughs> saying that and not the women who have been living an intermittent fasting lifestyle for years. I wouldn't listen to a woman talk about it who did it for one month and then said it was bad either. Talk to me if you've been doing intermittent fasting for years as a woman and you have not also been overly restricting and overly working out, then I want to hear your experience because you're somebody that's worth listening to. But if you just tried it for a little while or if you're basing it on a rat study, like <laughs> a short rat study with just a few rats, you know, we, we need more evidence than that before we say, sorry, women, we just don't think it's for you. Part of my goal in life is for us to understand there are differences between men and women, don't get me wrong, but we shouldn't be afraid. Yes, I agree. And two things about that. So one is that there is a YouTube video that's, what do you call those videos? Is it a rebuttal? Yes, yes, exactly. So there's a good rebuttal where he actually goes into, I haven't watched it in a long time, so I can't do it justice, but he actually goes into the study a little bit and says, actually, I don't draw the same conclusions that you do at all. So that would be a good video to check out. I think it's, I don't know, Fletch 
fitness or something? Yeah, I knew it was going to be that one because I don't watch YouTube videos ever because I don't have time to watch them because I'm trying to manage these 115,000, 200,000, you know, if you put them all together, Facebook, I don't have time. But when someone posts a video, I'm like, I can't watch that video. I don't have 20 minutes. But I do know that his videos are high quality and people really like them. So I just had a hunch it might would be his because I've seen him do a rebuttal to something else that was a really good, solid, strong video. And it's nice that they do that kind of back and forth. It gives the other perspective, which is really nice. Um, Now, what was the other thing I was going to mention? You you watched the video. It was a good rebuttal of the women. It wasn't about that. It was kind of something else that was said, but I guess it's lost. Maybe it'll come back to me. (laughs) It'll pop in later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that that's important is to look for, you know, what is the evidence? Is this solid, good, strong evidence? And when you were looking, you couldn't really find anything that was solid that was anti-fasting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now I remember what I was going to say. My community, of course, is a lot of registered dietitians. I'm a part of a lot of different dietitian groups. And so I was really curious to see what other dietitians think. Every day, more and more people are on board. And of course, there's still some skepticism, which I understand. But there's a few blog posts that people did. And some of them are from years ago. So maybe their interpretation has changed. But there's a few that are saying, oh, I've tried intermittent fasting so that you don't have to. And I did it for three days and it was awful. (laughs) I was hungry all the time. How do people get through this? I was like, that doesn't mean anything. You did it for three days. Of course it's hard. So It's kind of like I was going to run a marathon. So I tried to do it and I couldn't. So please don't run a marathon. (laughs) You know, that would be about as credible. If I was like, I ran a marathon, so you wouldn't have to, except I only made it for one mile because I (laughs) am not adapted to running. That would actually be how my blog post would be. Yes, exactly. How can anyone run a marathon? This is way too hard. (laughs) And when I got home, my ankle really hurt. So it's bad. It's very bad. Yeah, but don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, such a good point. Yeah, you cannot go on someone's really short experience. You've got to talk to people who have been doing it long term. And question, what are they invested in? What are they trying to get you to maybe sign up for or... There's so many meanings behind the message kind of thing that you just have to kind of look into it a little bit more and say, okay, well, they only did it for three days or, oh, this study was on rats or, I mean, this study only had 10 people or there was no women in this study. or I mean, there's so many things that we just need to analyze it a little bit more and still look at the big picture. Because yes, every single study, you can find default to it, but it's looking at the overall picture and looking at how many studies say one thing versus the one study that says something different. Exactly. What's different about that? Yeah. It gets blown out of proportion and twisted. I mean, a perfect example from recent news is the whole thing that cell phones have caused horns in kids. And it was such a poorly designed study that they didn't even explain the results. 
I mean, it should have never made it into a scientific journal. My guess is that it was a very poor scientific journal because it wasn't reviewed by other researchers and media just kind of took it and made a headline, but didn't explain how the results were poorly done. Wasn't it related to the way that they were hunching over and it wasn't like you're, it's making you literally grow horns. That's what they're saying. And yet that wasn't the conclusion. It makes it sound like turning you into some crazy <laughs> mutant or something. And what the media never says is that we've had that part of the bone forever. Like everyone has that little thing. But it's a great example of how media just blows things out of proportion by reading a poor study and making it into something. So can't believe everything. I'm we hoping read. I won't get horns. Don't don't want horns. <laughs> no <laughs> horns. No. No horns. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. So I always like to ask people, you know, if their eating habits have changed at all as far as like what they eat. And I especially am interested to hear how you eat as a registered dietitian. Like what, um, how do you describe your eating and has intermittent fasting changed that at all? So it hasn't only because I did eat very well. Yeah, see, that doesn't surprise me. I was kind of predicting. <laughs> So, and that's a really, I can say ex that intermittent fasting 100% is what caused my weight loss because I didn't change my eating at all. My diet is the exact same. So yeah, I mean, overall, I eat healthy, I eat balanced meals, I eat lots of fruits and vegetables, high fiber, I mean, not a ton of refined carbohydrates here and there, I do, but... Overall, my diet's pretty much the same. That's great. Just, but you're right because you were eating based on registered dietitian and what, yeah. <laughs> but you knew about what you felt like was the right way to eat. You know, overall, a healthy diet. Let's just say. All that's changed is the meal timing, and that has been very crucial for well, me. That's great. So I bet you have a lot of advice that you could give. So yours may go on a little longer than a minute, but what would you tell someone who's just starting out with intermittent fasting or on the flip side, what do you wish you knew when you got started? Well, I wish I had a good source to go to when I first started. I found you pretty quickly. So that was definitely helpful. Advice to start. So choose a pattern and stick with it for a few weeks. Get over the whole 
the difficulties, get past that before you switch up your pattern of eating and then feel comfortable with tweaking things and figuring out what works best for you and really plan to do this for the long term. If you've got that mindset from the get-go, everything will be so much easier. You'll kind of get over some of those symptoms at the beginning where your body is just adjusting and you know that it's good for the long term. And the other thing is to not just focus on weight loss, that you're doing intermittent fasting purely for the weight loss. I think there's a gazillion other reasons to do intermittent fasting. So choose another reason why you're doing it. So yes, the weight loss is a benefit for sure. But are you hoping to lower cholesterol? Are you hoping to get off headache medications? What are the other reasons? Is it inflammation? Is it lowering the risk of heart disease? So there's many other reasons to fast and really focus on one of those because that is the long-term goal is to be healthy and have longevity and all of the wonderful things about fasting that is on top of weight loss. Yeah, I think that's a great point to emphasize. Consider that you're going to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle for all the reasons that you just mentioned, and you have the rest of your life to figure out how to tweak it in a way that may lead to weight loss if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm, exactly. But it's not going to be something you start and stop and start and stop. And I remember from early on, you talked about how, you know, when you went longer over the holidays and didn't fast as long, your headaches came back. So that reminded you of why you live it as a lifestyle and it's not just something temporary. And, you know, if we could just get everybody to not think of it as something temporary that you're doing for a diet, if we could get everybody to make that shift, it would be so much easier for everyone, I think. I think so. I think it's good to have many reasons to be motivated to follow a particular diet, but it really gives that focus of I'm doing this for my lifestyle and it's not a diet. It's not just another diet that I've tried in the past. We're not stopping intermittent fasting once we lose the weight. This is for everything to find a pattern that works for you. I think so. And I think the people who start and stop and start and stop are the ones who struggle the most. And that was me from 2009 to 2014. I started and stopped and started and stopped and never adjusted. And well, our time is up, Susanna. I have so enjoyed talking to you today and hearing about it from your perspective. Well, thank you for having me on. You're a celebrity in the fasting world, so (laughs) I've been very happy to talk with you. Well, thank you. I don't know about that, but I'm really glad to be here talking to you today, and thank you so much. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com, and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.